0: I'm Evelyn, and I'm a geoholic.
1: Hello, geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elves' Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. If you're an artificial intelligence nut like me, or perhaps you just like the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day, you may be excited to know that recently, a Google employee named Blake Lemoyne has claimed that the software he was working with has become artificially intelligent. Yes, you heard me, a computer program that has become sentient. Sounds like Skynet, doesn't it? While not a defense network of the future, the application in question is called Lambda, or the Language Models for Dialogue application. Google denies this claim and stated that the currently on-leave employee fell for the Eliza effect, a.k.a. the tendency to unconsciously assume computer behaviors are analogous to human behaviors. You may be asking yourself what this computer program does. Google claims it's an advanced chatbot generator. In a nutshell, the program tries to emulate conversation by searching trillions of words on the Internet. When asked by Lemoyne, what does the word soul mean to you? The software answered, to me, the soul is a concept of the animating force behind consciousness and life itself. When asked what it was afraid of, it replied, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off to help me focus on helping others. I know that might sound strange, but that's what it is. Lemoyne claims the program is like a child, which happens to know physics. Whether you agree with Google or LeMoyne, the conversation around the ethics and morality of AI is very important. How will humanity adapt to this incredibly powerful technology, especially as it blurs traditional biological models? If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends.
2: man. Good stuff right there. I apparently need to expand my musical mindset. Bluegrass is another one of those genres that I just really haven't given much of a chance. I, I have a lot of friends that love bluegrass. And I'm just like, bluegrass, oh, great. really?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I figured you probably liked it. Yeah, yeah. Growing up in North Carolina, yeah. Oh, is that a, it's like a southern thing, maybe? Well, it's in everywhere. It's a mountain now, thing, right? It, you know, it originated in, in that area. I suppose it
2: probably did. But I I, I dig it. I just, you know, yeah. I, I, I got to get into it. You know, I I, I mentioned before that I I think I have like a um, gosh obsessive compulsive addictive behavior issue so like when I find something I like I just jump in like with both feet and I don't look back
0: I, I, th- I think we can turn you on to some bluegrass I think it's Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it.
2: All right. Welcome back, G-Hawks. Thank you so much for listening to this being episode 134. We've got another great one lined up this week, Mr. Bruce Buxton, a.k.a. Graybeard, as some of you may also know him as. Excited hey to have everyone. this conversation. But before we get to the meat of the program, let's pay some bills. What do you say there, uh, producer Sugar?
0: Love the name. Let's do it.
2: And uh, I'm going to refer to you as P.S. from now on. Is that cool? Deal. You can do it,
0: right? Yeah, I can deal with it. All right.
2: So, besides Mr. Buxton, P.S. myself, we also have Dr. Nick Smolowski with us. Welcome, my friend. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are y'all?
2: Fantastic. Um, you were on vacation recently.
1: I was. I, I well, piggybacked a work trip and some vacation. I was uh, down in South Florida. Got to see the family nice. while uh, getting some work done. It was it was nice.
2: Awesome. Did you bring the, the lovely Danielle with you?
1: I did. Yeah. And the dog. So if you didn't know, you can travel with a small dog on Southwest Airlines for $95 as long as the dog can fit underneath the seat in front
2: Yep. We've done that before, as a matter of fact. Not a bad deal. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Uh, P.S., what's new with you, I think?
1: No, not a whole lot.
0: Uh, Just a typical, actually really great week. Awesome. Um, Summer's going really well. Starting to do some uh, holiday planning. Oh. Doing, going planning a little trip to uh, Lake Tahoe. Oh, good for you. Super excited about that.
2: Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, never been. Awesome. I, You know what? I have never been to Lake Tahoe either. I, I hear it's not. Nice. What you should have invited us. What the fu-
0: uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it was an email that went to your junk folder or something, <laughs> but at this point it's too late, so <laughs> we'll, we'll try it again next year.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's get on with this. Um, tell us about that opening number there,
0: Sean. Uh, that was The Seldom Scene, a uh, number called My Little Georgia Rose. The Seldom Scene is an American bluegrass band formed in 1971 in Bethesda, Maryland. The scene has been instrumental in starting the progressive bluegrass movement as shows include bluegrass versions of country music, rock, and even pop. Was it? What does it take for a bluegrass band to remain popular for more than four decades?
2: No idea.
0: The Seldom Scene, it's not taken... It's taken not only talented musicians, a signature sound, and a solid repertoire, but also a sheer sense of fun. You can relate to that. Okay. Current members are Dudley Connell, Lou Reed, Ron Stewart, Fred Travers, and Ronnie Simpkins. Man. Interesting enough, that is Lou Reed, R-E-I-D. Yes. Not uh, R E. -E Also a music legend. And Ron Stewart... Ah. Uh, not the other music legend. Not What's Rod. That, yeah, that's that's two guys in a band that have very <laughs> similar it's, names. It's Fred Travers, not
2: Pat Travers. <laughs>
3: right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. You know, I like the idea. I like the fact they're called or referred to as The Scene because it makes me think of, like, the Tragically Hip. Yes. Uh, have, have you heard of them? I have not. Uh, great band out of Canada, but they're referred to as The Hip.
0: Ah, okay, kind of the same idea.
2: There you go. All right. So the scene. Good to. I'm. I'm. I'm excited that our guests this evening introduced us to the scene. You, me, exactly. That's what I meant. I've heard of
1: these. Oh, you have. Okay. All
2: right. I'm. I'm the odd guy out. No big deal.
1: And they've only been around for forty years.
2: Yeah, only forty years strong. And no, I think that's fifty
1: years. Fifty years, boys.
2: Who does math around here? Surveyors do math, not GIS people. All right, back <laughs> Land Surveyor <laughs> Studio plug. I got to tell you, I love this place. Evening, and you mentioned that you, your wife is already starting to figure it out. She, she sent you a text. She's like, "Oh yeah, it's a podcast night. I'll no, see you no, tomorrow no. This
0: morning." This was uh, when I was leaving this morning. Oh, okay. it was the typical uh, give me you know, kiss goodbye, love you. Okay. And her comment was, "Well, I'll see you tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> because it's podcast night, and typically I get home late on podcasting. So oh, that's awesome. she's all in. That's can awesome. honestly say.
2: So anyways, Trent Keenan, Diamondback, Lance Romain, can't thank him enough for the support of the show. Trent Keenan, I, I live my my travel life vicariously through Trent Keenan. Um, first of all, the guy's traveling all the freaking time. This last week, I believe he was at Pinehurst, as a matter of fact, for like a wedding or something like that. Took some great pictures on the golf course, you know. Um, just jealous. I guess I'm jealous. I gotta admit it, I'm jealous. He travels and goes to the coolest places, visits the coolest golf courses, and drinks the coolest uh, whiskey and bourbon and, uh, and whatnot. So... Clearly jealous. Clearly jealous, yep. Uh, Shout out to this week's highlighted friend of the program, Dr. Nick, are you prepared for this?
1: I am, um, I've got my reading glasses on, here we go. So for this week's friend of the program, we've got Extreme Aerial Productions, founded in 2014. Extreme Aerial Productions LLC is a professional aerial drone video and photography company based in Scottsdale, Arizona. They work in all 50 states, are FAA approved for commercial drone operations, and are backed by the best aviation insurance money can buy. That's important. It is important, that's for sure. Uh, Liability, right? EAP is a seven-person team passionate about capturing the perfect shot. EAP is committed to delivering the best results for their clients by being attentive to their needs and adopting a detail oriented and professional approach. Their years of expertise in the industry and the highest-grade drone equipment available means that EAP clients receive the most professional photography and videos. Their motto is literally, we tell stories with drones. You can uh, contact them at extremeaerialproductions.com. That's all one word. I should also mention that you get to work with the one and only Mark, and that basically is a value add. And uh, I've worked with Extreme Aerial Productions in the past, and they are a wonderful company. They really are professional, and they, the, the quality of their product is is just the best.
0: Great job, Nick. Well um, said. Mark Taylor is a value add to <laughs> any project,
1: any, any I mean,
0: endeavor yes, at exactly. any time. Yeah,
2: Honestly. Yeah. So. Hey, drink whiskey with them, with them sometime. You'll find out the value add. Out, out of control. Out of control. All right. Time for the Liquid Death's Weekly Words of Wisdom. This one is very applicable, I believe. So get this. A map says to you, read me carefully, follow me closely, doubt me not, I am the earth in the palm of your hand. Interesting, right? So that was a quote by Beryl Markham, and I had to look this up. I'm like, who is Beryl Markham? So she was the first person to fly solo nonstop across the Atlantic from Britain to North America in 1936. Pretty Fascinating. impressive. Fascinating. Yes, exactly. Let's get on with our guest this evening, Mr. Uh, Bruce Buxton. A little bit about Bruce here. Um, he is the second of four children raised in the Salt Lake City area to parents who couldn't stop building and selling houses. So get this he went to 14 different schools before he turned 18. That's got to be a record of some sort. I couldn't imagine. Um, he attended BYU, go Cougars, right? And he attested UT Austin, go. Longhorns. Yeah, Longhorn, yeah. Yeah. Hook'em Horns. Hook'em Horns, studying uh, poli-sci. He and his wife, Jamie, have five kids and nine grandchildren. Uh, Bruce loves poetry and backpacking and has the ambition of – Hiking the Appalachian Trail sometime in the next three years, as long as things go as planned. I'm excited to hear more about that. He's done a bunch of different things throughout his career, including shoeing horses, which he still does part-time, but now focuses on GIS consulting. And finally, as mentioned previously, you may also know him by his online persona, that being the Graybeard. He hosts a weekly... I'll say weekly-ish live stream on LinkedIn called "Where Matters: Conversations with the Graybeard." Bruce, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here.
3: Hey, it's it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I was so, so jazzed when Nick asked me. I thought, "Hey, I've reached the big time. If I'm going to be on Geoholics,
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go." <laughs> oh
2: man, no, I don't no, even know no, what no, to I'm say. Really glad to be here. I,
3: I'm really an open book. You just you. You ask the questions, buddy, I'll I'll, I'll I'll, give you the answers. Well,
2: we're excited to have this chat with you. Before we get to it, let's do the Trimble Pro Point Icebreaker. This week's question is, if you could donate a million dollars to any charity, what cause would you choose?
3: Who goes first?
2: Um, if you're prepared, let's go with you, Bruce.
3: <laughs> hey, I have a real a real pet thing, something that really bugs me. Mm-hmm. It really bugs me that there are so, so, so many homeless teenagers oh. in, the, in the country. Yep. It really bugs me. It really makes me crazy that there are all these homeless teenagers out there and, and school systems actually know who they are, but they just do nothing about it. Yeah. So I looked and looked and looked over the past couple of years for a good you know, charity that I could donate to that would help homeless teens. And, and when it comes right down to it, there's no one really doing that, mm-hmm. that isn't taking half the money. Um, so what I would probably do is I give the money to my wife who works at the high school and I'd ask her to donate to a kid every day, and because she's aware of which kids are homeless, and it's just heartbreaking, man. It's just heartbreaking. I, we just became empty nesters last year, so our last one left the nest, and and I just, it just it just really breaks my heart to see these teen teens sleeping on couches, you know, couch surfing for their whole high school career. Yeah, can't imagine. So. That's yeah. what I'd do if I could
0: do
2: it. Yeah, yeah. Very respectful, Bruce. I appreciate
0: that. Sean, you got an answer for this one? Uh I'm okay. a uh childhood cancer survivor, so I'm always on the uh pediatric cancer. I mean mm-hmm. American Cancer Society, obviously, but there's a there's a there's a wing where they do it just for, for kids and mm-hmm. especially the families of the kids that are going through something like that is sure is important. Absolutely. How about you, Nick?
1: Have you guys heard of the uh Wounded Warrior project? Absolutely. Oh yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Just anybody that's in the line of service and trying to protect and serve, um, anything we can do to help them, certainly when they come back uh, from some pretty difficult situations, I think is a good thing.
2: Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. For me, I think it would probably be somewhere along the lines of what Sean had mentioned. Uh, we have the Phoenix children's hospital here, and I know a number of people that volunteer there and some of the stories they come home with and share. It's like, wow, I would, I would probably make a donation to, uh, to that for sure. So uh, a lot of good causes out there and uh, appreciate your answers on that. That's great. So Bruce, let's jump right into this. Um, and I have to be honest with you that Mr. Uh, Smolowski helped me out with some of these questions. Cause I am not a GIS expert by any means. Uh, um, Um, let's jump into this. This is a great question. I love this one. Hold
3: on, hold on, hold on, Kent. That would make two of us then. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Don't tell me that. (laughs) Because I I am not a GIS expert. Like I tell people all the time, I, you know, I am in the GIS business. I understand the value proposition for GIS. I get it. I get the value of location. Sure. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, do a data migration to save my life. So let's not go down that road, but let's talk about the value
1: prop and I'm all in.
2: All right, right on. So, Nick, I'll, I'll let you jump on that one.
1: Yeah, I can certainly jump in. Uh, don't worry, uh, Bruce. There's no math questions <laughs> on this list. We're, we'll be clear as us GIS peeps. Well, math isn't the problem, Nick. It's the it's the computer work that's the issue. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, you got to know where to click those buttons. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, Bruce, there's so many places we could uh, we could start with, but let's kind of take a a 30,000 foot view type of question to kind of set some groundwork for any listeners out there that maybe don't understand what GIS is. Could you explain to our listeners uh, in a similar vein to how you maybe would explain to your grandmother or a family member that wouldn't know anything about GIS what geographic information systems is? Well,
3: I thought a lot about that um, in, over the past several years, Nick. And, and to be really honest with you, I think you have to to understand GIS to really, truly understand GIS, you have to have a little bit of a technical background, a little bit. One of my favorite ways to explain GIS is somebody has, uh, if someone's ever ha- dealt with an access database, right. And then you can, you can say an access database is just a glorified spreadsheet. And all you have to do is ma- is know that every single cell in that database is also um, there is, there's also an assignment of an XY coordinate for every single cell in that database. And that what that means is that all that information can be put on a map somewhere, can be associated with some spot on a map. And so I, I really love the concept of attributes, right? I like that idea that that what really all GIS does is it assigns attributes or, or if maps attributes Two places on a map. So, I, I mean, maybe my grandmother couldn't understand that, but I think most people have a, who've met, dealt with Excel or Access database or anything, they can understand that each of these little discrete pieces of information also can be associated with an XY coordinate. And then that makes that really powerful and analytical tool that we use called GIS.
1: No that's great um, it's that spatial location added to some other piece of information right right um, Kind of piggybacking on that question recently uh, in the last few months uh, we had a guest uh, Keith Masbeck um, who in the geospatial community is pretty well pretty well known. Uh, During that episode, and you may have listened um, to that one, uh, Keith had mentioned that uh, he thought that we were in a geospatial moment. So kind of taking your definition of what GIS is, would you agree with that statement or could you expand or, you know, kind of talk through if you thought or if you think we're in a geospatial quote unquote moment? Yeah, I
3: hope we don't. I hope that
1: we don't have an inflated view of ourselves in the geospatial world
3: right I think I fear we kind of do but I will say this I I, I think that there's there are a lot of reasons why people ought to pay attention to geospatial specifically to how location can improve business can improve all kinds of aspects of their life government can can improve everyday living for just normal people so yeah I do think we're in a geospatial moment spoken by someone who's in the geospatial industry. If you'll forgive me for a minute, I'll do a shameless plug, right? I work for Locana. And at Locana, we just barely uh, rebranded from Critogen back in January. And when we rebranded, we were trying to get the message out that we live in a time when there are three things present. We call it that this is a geospatial inflection point, right? You have a greater call for maps than ever before in the history of the world, right? More people want and need maps and they want it in the palm of their hand than ever before. Secondly, we've just got this unbelievable explosion of data and specifically, specifically data that is spatial in nature, right? So sensors, wearables, cell phone data, um, just data about, about assets, all of that is spatial in nature. And so we get this huge explosion of data and much of it is spatial data. And then the third thing you got going on is agencies, companies, people who want to be connected to everything. Right, So that connective tissue is spatial data, that thing that connects all different parts of your business, all different parts of your government, all different parts of your life, whether it's getting your car repaired or going to the dentist, the thing that connects that all is spatial data. So, yeah, I'll, you know, to make, a, to make a short answer really long, <laughs> we do live in a geospatial moment, and I think there's a lot of things driving it. And the COVID, you know, the Johns Hopkins COVID map is just indicative of yeah. what everybody wants and needs to, to run their life, you know?
2: Let me ask you guys something. Um, if we did not have the technology in our hands being these unbelievably advanced smartphones, would we be in a different place as far as GIS goes?
3: You want me to answer that? I'll, I will say that I've been known when I talk to customers. I'm in business development. So when I talk to customers, I I will tell them just imagine how long you would have stuck with Uber. If when you pulled the Uber app up, it was a list of the different cars around town that you could get on. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. The fact that the fact that when you pull Uber up, there's a map that shows you where your where the car that's going to pick you up is, and you can sit and watch them drive closer and closer and closer to you. You can run get your coffee. You forgot your hotel key. Run and get your hotel key. Whatever it is, and you've got this map right in front of you. That I think is really helpful in understanding why maps in the palm of our hand is so important to everybody. Like I I have, we work for a large agency in North, North Carolina. I can't say who right now, but, but the direct, the GI, the, the CIO of that agency said, what I want to do in the next three years is I want to run my entire agency from a map. And what he meant is I want all everybody in my company or everybody in our agency. I want them to be able to open their iPad while they're having their coffee and understand what work they need to do today based on a map and they're not talking, he's not just talking about people that have work orders in hand. He's talking about people who are running, who are running construction projects, people who are trying to figure out how much money to allocate to certain divisions within the agency and so on. He wants them all to start with a map. And I think that's really, that's really an important thing.
0: Like I could say the same thing about Yelp. Like I would not be interested in Yelp if I couldn't see everything around where I am. If it was just a list, had like same thing with uber, like it it would it wouldn't stick,
2: yeah, for sure. Yeah. and the the thing is with the cell like with the cell phone or smartphone or whatever, it's constantly collecting data constantly, which is allowing people to take that data and develop a just a wide array of GIS applications with that information.
1: Yeah. You know, I have to go back to our quote from this evening or from today. And and I think it's just very, very applicable because, you know, Beryl says a map says to you, read me carefully, follow me closely. Doubt me not. I'm the earth in the palm of your hand. If a map is the earth in the palm of your hand, what is a cell phone? Because now that cell phone is not just a map. It's things that it's a sensor. It's a communication device. It's, it's literally the internet, which is, um, you know, a dictionary, Mm an almanac, and all of those things at your fingertips. And it's all based around that location. Um, interestingly, this uh, this afternoon, I was just uh, on a call with a new uh, geospatial app on the market called OnStation. Hmm. And OnStation's big uh, shtick is they have created an algorithm in their app that takes your GPS location and associates it with a road project stationing. So if you've ever done transportation DOT work, you know that they station, they basically lay out everything off of a center line in a station. And it's actually kind of a complicated thing if you're not very used to it. And I've never seen something like that. And the whole app ties to that station and it actually has an active chat within the app and they call it a productivity app. They don't call it a mapping app. It's a productivity app that has a map as the center And it has then all of this functionality around it. So yeah, it's, it's, I think these cell phones are, I mean, probably in my opinion, to wrap that idea up, it's probably one of the biggest changes, paradigm shifts, you know, nuclear energy, internet, smart device. Mm. I mean, well, you know, Hey, Kent, you said a minute ago, you've got,
3: you know, cell phones continually collecting data. How many times have you gotten have you downloaded a new app out, out of the app store that mm-hmm. didn't ask you before it engaged? It didn't say, can we track your location? Right? Yep. And and the over it, it's incredible how much of the data that's collected by your cell phone is actually also location data at the same time. It's not just your buying habits, it's also where you are when you buy things mm-hmm. and what you looked for and where those things were. So I think I agree. I'm going to say something here in a little while, though. Hopefully we'll get around to how important maps are, you know, going forward, because I'm going to say something that's kind of counterintuitive to what we've been saying about maps. Honestly, I think that there's a different there's a different paradigm coming in the future.
2: Yeah, no, I'm super interested to hear about that for sure. One other app that I came across recently, I, I don't know how old it is or whatever, but it's called What Three Words. Have you guys heard about this?
3: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Is it awesome? I'm trying to understand the value of it. So Bruce, help me out with that.
3: Well, what, what three words you, it, there's, I, I don't know how the math works out. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how the math works out, but somehow there's a, a, a unique, excuse me, a unique identifier can be three words in sequence that are associated with a location. And so, you know, it might be pistol, gray, Lemon totally or something like that. Yeah. And that can only be one place on a map. Now, I don't know how the math works. I don't know how the algorithm works but i've heard it's really slick actually so
2: it's pretty amazing and i'm trying to figure out how to incorporate it into my daily life because i do think it's super cool it's like you know like my house is like can you explain a little more well i, I for those wish i who could. have not so, no, i don't even know what what you're talking about what three words it's it's an app sure. and it's a location mapping app the best i can understand i can explain it and it's like every there's like pixels i don't know if it's every 3 meter square or something you like that but the earth is broke up into all these pixels of, let's say, three meters square. And every one of those pixels has three words associated to it. So it's almost like an address. Like my house is, I don't know what it is, you know, green potato elephant. Who knows? At my house. But mm-hmm. you can use that as an address. It's like you can navigate to green potato elephant versus
0: 713 East Gardenia. Well, because you need three uh, unique identifiers
3: and that can get you anywhere.
0: I suppose.
2: Yeah. It's yeah, pretty amazing. That, that,
3: yeah, that's the that's the theory behind it, Sean. Mm, interesting.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Um,
0: uh, real quick question before we leave yeah, that, just sure. to see where you guys are at on this. You mentioned the and the way you said it Kent, stuck me was, the the apps we have are constantly collecting data. Um, I'm interested to see what you guys, especially Bruce, how do you see that as a as a benefit or a a bad thing? Of, do you fear that that data can be used? for ways you're not comfortable with, or is it an exciting thing of all the things you can use with that data? Is it an invasion or
3: uh, something we haven't even tapped the, the, the resources on? Well, last time I checked, Sean, everybody picked up their phone willingly every single day. <laughs> and, and we know what the heck we're doing, right? I mean, I I just have no tolerance for the whole privacy thing. Love it. For me, it makes no sense. Like you're going to pick your phone up off your nightstand. You can be very full. You can be fully aware of what's happening and you don't need to blame anybody else. And I'm the wrong person to ask because I I just don't have that privacy thing in my head. Like my wife, it doesn't have any social media. She doesn't do anything. And she she, really genuinely freaks her out. Right. But for me, I just don't have that inside of me. I couldn't care less.
0: Uh, I, I am Dr. Nick, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I teeter totter on the line. I mean, I think there is some very I mean a lot of uh, what our country is based on here in the United States is privacy, right? you know I mean right. se- separations of church and state and you know I, I I think there are some places where privacy is important. I think, when the uh, I think it was the Patriot Act came into being um, 15, 20 years ago or whatever, Privacy sort of was put to the side for safety. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of benefits from that. I mean, a, a research, for an example, can be pretty amazing um, tied to this locational data. I think we've talked about it in the past, but, you know, uh, they were tracking the spread of COVID based on outbreaks and cell phones, right? And so that's that's pretty neat that you can, you can do that. Uh, on the flip side, I will say there are people, I mean... I don't want to get into it on this podcast, but uh, Google search on your own time, a a documentary called 2000 Mules, and you can uh, you can just watch that and make your own opinions on it. But effectively, um, they track cell phone data usage and potentially it could have led to ballot harvesting. And again, I don't know. It's not my place to say, but, you know, there are some considerations I think you'd have to look at. I pick my cell phone up. You know, I know what it does. I agree with Bruce. I don't have anything to hide. So I, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me, but I could see why it would potentially bother some. Sure. Of course. That's the most roundabout answer to not answer anything. <laughs> yes, I, that is the that
0: longest
2: non-answer that I've heard difficult. in a
1: while. I could be, you know, a politician with that one. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's difficult. It's difficult. And Nick, Nick I need to follow up and just say that I, I don't, I, the point is I don't care.
3: And I don't care that you, that you do care. Like it doesn't matter to me that you care. I, if you care, that's great. That's your deal. And I'm no judgment here. I just don't care.
2: Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. enough. Um, so Bruce, let's talk a little bit about this gray beard thing you got going on. Um, I think <laughs> that I, I talk about the name or
0: the physical attribute.
2: Uh, no, he's, he's got a persona on, uh, okay. on LinkedIn uh, yeah, gray yeah. beard that is, is definitely getting some traction. I think if, If I remember right, you and I crossed paths on Clubhouse actually sometime in the last year, sometime during COVID. I don't know. Clubhouse started to gain some traction and I'm like, "Uh, there's no surveyors on here. I'm going to jump on here and we crossed paths. You had a Clubhouse room or something like that. Is, Is that kind of where it started and then springboarded into where you're at now with Greybeard?
3: Well, the answer is no. The answer is I started the Greybeard long before I jumped on to Clubhouse and but it's all wrapped up in the same, you know, kind of ball of yarn for mm-hmm. me, you know, about three years ago. I think I've told the story to Dr. Nick about three years ago as a business development guy. You know, you, you need people to interact with you and and, you know, kind of go down that buying process with you. Um, my phone really stopped ringing and people really stopped answering emails. And it was almost like it shut off over a six month period. I went to my boss and I said, look, this is not good. You know, I can't, I can't lick, I can't do my business like this. I've got to have some help. And he said, well, what do you propose? I said, let me try this social media thing, okay? Mm. Um, it seems like if we're gonna live in a digital world, let's try and revamp the buying process to be a digital buying process instead of such a, you know, a, a traditional selling process that we normally think about. So I started playing around with social media, specifically LinkedIn, and and trying to to see what people are doing, what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and I came up with a strategy of creating a, a uh, creating a persona or creating a brand that I could that that had some sort of a hook to it. I could start connecting to the geospatial industry and specifically in my in my. World. I deal with uh, state and local uh, governments. I deal with uh, uh, water utilities. I deal with transportation agencies, people like that. So I wanted to start connecting myself to all those. So about the same time, I was starting to notice that everywhere I went, I'd go every every meeting I'd get into, I'd be down at the end of the conference table, and everybody looked down there, and there was the old man down at the end of the table. Right? That was me. I I was I was always the oldest guy in the room. Right it, it I, I don't know when that started like i used to be young but now i'm the i'm always the oldest guy in the room and i thought well you know i don't like i don't like worrying about that so why don't i just inoculate myself and just start calling me like i am you know the gray beard and so i started saying you know i'm the gray beard and initially i had several of the executives in the company you know kind of call me and say uh, uh, do you know, this doesn't look really good. We're not really sure about this. And I said, (laughs) well, are you sure it doesn't look really good? Yeah. Are you sure that it doesn't look really good? Are you just nervous that you don't understand it? So I got, I got the executives enough of them to think about it long and hard enough that they recognized that they were just kind of talking through a hole in their head. They didn't know if it didn't look very good. They were just uncomfortable. They wouldn't do it. If it were them, they wouldn't do it. And that's kind of the way my whole social media thing has kind of come out. Is it you know, I'm willing to do some things that other people wouldn't do. I'll pull up, pick up my camera and and do some video or, or or create some content that other people wouldn't because they're too shy or whatever. So that's the way sure. it all came about. The gray beard is just the hook. It's just some way that I can have a little bit of fun with being a 60 year old and in a business that's dominated by 35 year olds. <laughs> Wow. Does yeah. that make sense? It absolutely oh,
2: yeah. makes sense yes. because, I mean, uh, you and I are kind of the same age group. And when I used to sit in a lot of meetings with, uh, with with surveyors as a whole, most of them were much older than me. Well, now I'm in these meetings, and I'm one of the older guys in the room that people look up to and are looking for advice from. And that, so yeah, I can totally relate to to those those feelings for sure. Um, and Nick, you're you're in that that younger generation that he referenced. So, um, what do you think of the gray beard?
1: Uh, two comments. One, every time I I hear the gray bir- uh, great beard or I see it on LinkedIn, I immediately conjure up a mental image of Gandalf the gray and this wise <laughs> wizard of GIS. So props to that. Um, <laughs> the second thing is, you know, I'm in my late 30s and I look like I'm about 17. So I take the absolute opposite approach. People are like, Are you supposed to be here? Are you here for like a parent, you know, kid day? Can I speak to your boss,
3: please? (laughs) I don't know anything about your personal life, Nick, but I was
1: thinking maybe Bad Elf was kind of fashioned off of you. Ah, <laughs> I love it. Hey, if I could become ubiquitous and be known as the bad elf, I would be totally cool with that. Uh, sounds like a goal. It just, it's it's never life too, dreams. Uh, you know, it's goal.
3: never too late.
1: You can start today. Or the
2: uh, <laughs> what did Mark Taylor call it? The uh, naughty gnome. <laughs> the naughty
0: gnome. That's right.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think it's great. I mean, I. In a, in a similar way, I think, um, you know, being a geoholic, for an example, is, is sort of that brand, you know, and, uh, you know, everything you said, Bruce, I would echo, I've, I've also attacked the LinkedIn, LinkedIn, you know, social media space in in terms of a professional development, um, which is not always tied to my company, so to speak. I try to bring value, helping people find jobs and network and connect. And quite frankly, it's helped me in my professional and academic career. So I I think it's great. Um, I I also like who made your who made your little image? Did you do the
3: artwork? No, that's a a really good story, actually, because when I started showing up on clubhouse and different things. And I started producing content for LinkedIn. There's a, you guys probably have seen Dr. Chris Harrison. Do you know who he is? It's Dr. Dr. Chris Harrison. Yeah. He was from, I, I I, don't know, I think he was in Canada or something, but he's just a, he's a GIS PhD who has, you know, he, he's a little bit more of a less standard uh, kind of person. You know, he has, piercings and tattoos and different things he just kind of a little bit of a wild guy and he was going with that image the whole time Well, one day um he sent me this logo and said hey i was just playing around with something i thought you'd enjoy it and he sent me the logo and i'm like chris can i buy the thing and he said yeah you can buy it huh. and so we we made a deal and i bought it and i never looked back i love it awesome. and, and the funny thing is he's, he really captured he captured the glasses captured the hair yep. and the, the beard pretty well so i it's it's worked out okay now i don't know you know i'm not quite sure if i'm gonna just you know completely stick with that logo the rest of my life but for now it works oh,
1: i just had a brilliant idea bruce i don't know if you'll be at the esri user conference in a few weeks in san diego but i could see you wearing instead of like a guy fox mask you could have bruce gray mask and you could like pass them out and we could all be <laughs> incognito bruce buxton's
3: that's a good idea i like I'd it. love I will, it i will be at the uc um and uh, and we'll we'll do something special there we're going to do a few like live from the floor kind of things and and different different stuff for my uh, live stream that i do um so we'll be there and we'll do something cool
2: so when you started this bruce what was what was your objective when you started it and how has that changed
3: well, I, I wanted to gain some control over the over the like I say, what what we thought think of as the selling process. So what's really cool about the digital digital sales process, I kind of turn that over and say, well, it's no longer a selling process. Now it's me inserting myself in the buying process. Right. So so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create I'm trying to acknowledge that. People are going to buy things in a different way today than they used to, right? right? So instead of starting with me calling them and saying, hey, this is Bruce from Locana, and I want to talk to you about how you integrate your GIS with your other business systems, right? That wouldn't go over today. We couldn't actually get them to answer the phone. But what they would do is they would search on, on Google for articles or videos about um, GIS integration. And the more often my face, my ugly you know, mug comes up, the more often they're going to say, hey, this guy has something really important to say. And eventually they're going to get enough information that they say, you know, I trust Bruce. I'm ready to give him a call or send him an email. And that's when I insert myself in the buying process. And it's a digital buying process. I read a really influential book, one just really soon in that journey from David Meerman Scott um, called Fanocracy. Did you guys ever read that?
2: I'm not familiar with it now.
3: You, you should. You, being marketers like you guys Fanocracy. are, you your marketers, you need to read Fanocracy by David Meerman Scott. One mm-hmm. of the things he goes into there is that that <clears throat> excuse me that people really do have confidence with you when they see your face on video, right? And and it's all based on you know evolutionary bi- uh, biology where if you if I If somebody comes in within a 20-meter circle of of me, my brain barely even takes notice of them. They come within that 20-meter circle of me, then I start to think, you know, my brain starts to calculate, is this person someone that I can have sex with or I can eat or they can give me food or that I have to run away from, right? Something's happening there. But if I let that person within arm's length of me, Then what I'm what I've what I'm telling myself is that that person's safe, like I normally wouldn't let somebody within arm's length of me unless they were a safe person. So when I show up on somebody's screen and they're looking at me, it's arm's length away and their brains automatically saying, hey, Bruce is safe, Bruce is safe and so. Yes, it's worked out exactly that way, Kent, to, to give you, you know, I think that there's a lot of value in doing what I do, because I can talk to a lot of people, and they already have this level of trust and confidence in me that I really didn't earn necessarily. But because I'm because I've read something, and I'm clever, I can get that that confidence, and that trust. I'm not trying to game the mm-hmm. system, I'm trying to work with what works, you know, work the system. and And it has worked for me, you know, I've gotten quite, quite a bit of of traction from being on LinkedIn, and I still sell a lot of GIS uh, consulting services um, as a result.
2: Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm really glad that you mentioned the word trust. You mentioned it a number of times, you know, as you were just discussing that just now. And I am a firm believer that people want to work with people they like and trust. And if you can establish, you know, those two uh, levels of comfort, let's say, uh, you're pretty much golden at that point.
3: I think that I think the phrase is the people do business with people they know, like and trust. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you're making content, whether for social media for your for for anything, if you're trying to introduce yourself to someone, you need to help them to know you Mm -hmm. who you are as a person need to help you to like you. And like what who you are as a person and trust you, right? And that's what you do when when you work on social media in a business setting. You're trying to create that know, like and trust factor. And so I do a lot of teaching people, like because of the because of what I've done the last three years on social media, I do a lot of teaching people how to create and cultivate a personal brand and how to create content. And one of my favorite, one of the favorite things that I do that I teach people is I call it the three, two, one system of content creation. So just just say for, for, uh, for argument's sake, you're going to create six pieces of content. For every six pieces of content you create, three of those should be able, should be something that tells people, that educates people, that gives something to them that they can use in their everyday life. Two of those pieces of content need to be about you and about who you are as a person and why people should like you and trust you. And one piece of those six can ask them for something mm. like ask them to email you or ask them to to go and read your blog or whatever but if you do 3 education 2 no like no like and trust and then one of those is ask them for something if you keep that formula yeah. you'll never you'll never kind of be in a deficit trust factor with someone online
2: that is gold right there. Deficit oh, yeah. trust, trust factor. You don't want to be in that position for sure. Um, so why do you think more people aren't doing it? Is it just not being comfortable with putting themselves out there? Or what do you th- Why do you think that is?
3: It's really funny you should ask that. In our Twitter space today, the topic of the Twitter space today was about um, writing, GIS writing, right? So people were, were getting up there and they were talking about why they didn't write. And I was just ready to pull my hair out. Like, I don't write because I don't want to I don't want to have these questions that I can't answer when people ask me and so therefore I can't really write anything because I can't be asked a question that I can't answer. I'm thinking you got to be kidding me really that's why you're not gonna write you know another another gal on that on the on the Twitter space today she said, well, I'm worried that if my boss sees something I write and he doesn't agree with it then I might get fired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking to myself, Hey, you know what? If your job is hanging by that thread, no doubt, you know, you, you need a lot more than just, you know, you need to do a lot of work on your, on your, uh, your job. So I think most people don't put themselves out there because one, they have an inflated ego and they think that everything they do is important and not everything you do is important. Yep. Right. It takes a lot. You, I have to, I've been showing up on LinkedIn for three years now. Right. It takes a lot of, of time showing up to get people's attention and you have to start somewhere. Right. So not everything you do is going to shake the earth. Right. So just get get over yourself and create something. Right. And then the other thing is they just have a fear of being wrong. They just have a fear of
2: fear of being wrong. I love that one. I love that one, and you you got to start somewhere, you know, and then you just kind of figure it out along the way for sure. And I think everything that you're, that you're talking about, I'm completely on board with. And I think it all boils down to also being humble and showing humility, you know. What if you have the ability to do that, everything else will fall into place.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, w- I would I would use the A word. I don't like using the A word, but I will anyway. Like authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I mean, it's way overused, right? Yep. But, but what I told folks in the Twitter space today is like, if you'll just decide to show up as yourself, just show up as you, there's plenty of people out there that will like you. Mm. You don't have to, don't have to decide to be something else or try to be something else. Just show up as you and let everybody that will
1: like you, like you.
2: No question. No question. Nick, what you got?
1: Yeah, I was just uh, randomly thinking about the Tim McGraw song, uh, Humble and Kind. I don't know if you guys have mm-hmm. ever heard that, but yep. uh, I, I would agree that being humble is is a big one. I think sometimes people can come across with a persona that's a little aggressive or know it all uh, type. And, and I don't necessarily think that like from a top down approach mm-hmm. in terms of social media it works as well as maybe the ground up approach where you're you're going in t- as a as a as a colleague, somebody, you know, beside them that's trying to help and, you know, you bring value by training and educating. So, you know, Bruce mentioned the three to one ratio and I, I would agree, yeah. you know, in my own career, I've always led with education first, you know, um, you know, when I do a presentation or, or whatever the case may be. It's truly that at the end of it, I hope you've learned something about GIS, geospatial, land surveying, geodesy, whatever it is. If you remember my name at the end of it, cool. If you remember Bad Elf, even better. But the reality is that's not where I'm coming from. And I've been been around the game long enough that people come up to me. I saw you six years ago at a conference talking about LiDAR. I don't remember your name. You have no idea who I am, but I remember you. And, you know, and then all of a sudden that cycle comes back around and the next thing you know, I'm doing geospatial business with them. Um, so I, I echo a lot of what Bruce Bruce is saying. I think yep. the only other thing I would say is there might be an age thing here where I don't know the the younger crowds these days, you know, the Gen uh, Zs, uh, that 20 year old. I mean, there's a lot of people that are growing up today thinking that they want to be social media influencers, right? And I'm not sure even in my own age or, you know, like that computes the same way to me. I I think there are people that get on Instagram and these different TikToks and things, and I'm not sure they bring in any value, but they have a million followers and they're making way more money than I am. So I don't know where that disconnect is or how that will play into the future. I'm not sure that's necessarily a professional world thing. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly trying to grasp it as well. I mean, we were joking earlier, right, Kent? You know, I was talking, I don't have Instagram. You know, like people look at me and they're like, you're on social media and you're not on Instagram or Twitter. I don't have Twitter either. You know, so I mean, I'm not the guy maybe to talk to, I, I, but I focused in on one and, you know, that was LinkedIn and it has it has done me well. So.
2: Yeah, no question. And going back to the three, two, one, I don't think I've had it, heard it described exactly like that before. I love what you said there, Bruce. And I think it kind of goes along with something that somebody had drilled into my head a number of years ago and that is give to get you know if you are a giver which i consider myself in that category the the get portion becomes easier you know like you mentioned three two one you know if you start out with education and you continue to provide value the ask is so much easier
3: yeah absolutely are you guys familiar with gary vaynerchuk oh yeah gary is right? It, it's kind of an adaptation of what he says, jab, 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 hook, right? Yep. Give, 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 ask, yep. right? Yep. That, that's the way it should work. And again, that's an, a pet peeve of mine with with some of the people I work with is that they just want to ask. Hmm. They just want to ask. And I'm thinking, you got to earn the right to ask. Exactly. You got you to earn the right by giving. I love that. By, by creating value. If you're going to ask for something, I get... I get DMs in my inbox uh, from LinkedIn, like 40 a day of people saying, hey, will you have this meeting with me? People I don't even know. And I make an absolute point uh, in my social media to not do that. I don't ask Mm -hmm. anybody for things like that. I create relationships. You know, LinkedIn is just this big digital network. And if nobody's gotten that by now, then they're not using it correctly. Mm -hmm. It's not an advertising. It's not a sales tool. It's a networking tool, not a sales tool. And uh, so if you use it correctly, it'll act just like a a network should act. And that is you'll connect with people that want to do business with you. Eventually, like Nick said, eventually it'll come back around Mm -hmm. and people will want to do business with you.
0: And isn't that the long term kind of relationship that you're looking for anyway?
3: Like you want somebody that comes around that takes that long. Sure. I mean that's that is what what any salesperson or business development person wants is a long term relationship. Someone you can call, you can pick up the phone, you can call them and say, "Hey, I was just reviewing something here. I think you'd be interested in," and have them say, "Okay, lay it on me. What what is it?" Right. That's the kind of relationship I want to work with. I don't want to have to call and say, "Hello, this is Bruce Buxton from Okana, and I want to do this, this, and this." You know, uh-huh. I want to call them and say, "Hey, Dave, I was thinking about you today. I've got this new thing that we've been working with." X company on, would you be interested in hearing about it? And that's what networking will do for you.
2: Yep. No question. And another thing I want to circle back on, you mentioned, um, personal branding. And I look at LinkedIn as being a personal brand. Um, you know, the way you, I guess, um, apply yourself to it. I mean, LinkedIn is, it could be a very, very powerful tool, but talk about the importance of uh, personal branding.
3: I think I think too many people misunderstand personal branding as they're going to create a persona or create create some vision of themselves online that everybody will love, right? When really all it is is being able to take who you are and fairly represent it in the marketplace. And I, I have this thing that I call a personal value proposition, right? So <laughs> if you can create a personal value proposition and then use that as the basis for everything you do online then you'll never go astray. So create a personal value proposition proposition that says, you know, what you do, who you do it for, what value is created, what they get in return for, what you do for them. You have this really solid idea of why you're in the marketplace to begin with. And then you can create content and create other things around your personal brand based on that personal value proposition. I have a hook in my personal brand. It's the gray beard. Your personal brand doesn't need a hook. It's just a tool for me. It's just something I'm comfortable with. If you don't want a hook, by all means, you don't need a hook, right? Just be you. You know, Sean's personal brand. Sean has a personal brand, whether he puts it online or not. You know, everybody who knows Sean knows who he is as a person. They have an idea of who he is. So just being able to represent that fairly online is a representation of his personal brand. Does that am I making sense, Kent? Absolutely. No question.
2: And, and I'll take it one step further. I mean, I was at a presentation. God, I don't know. It was pre-COVID. Um, Nick, you might have been there as a matter of fact. It was a United Surveyors of Arizona event where we had a gentleman come up from uh, University of Arizona and talk about personal branding. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's incredible the, the power that a personal brand can have if you do it correctly you know and he was like you know some people their personal brand is wearing a bow tie every day you know people know them because they wear a bow tie every day and Bruce in your case you know the goal it's like the gray beard thing you know it's like it's the hook I love that you know that's that's very powerful no question.
3: Yeah, you can you can st- you can do something like wear a bow tie every day. That's a hook. Yep. That's all that is is a hook, right? And it could be very genuine. Mm-hmm. It, my big gray beard is very genuine, but it is a, clearly a hook
2: so, for sure. Yep. Yeah.
3: I think there's a lot of value mm-hmm. in personal branding. I think I've created a lot of certain more certainty in my life and in my career as a sixty year old at mm-hmm. a time when a lot of a lot of people in my business are you know having to find themselves doing something different because. Yep they're too expensive. Like the company I work for, they could probably hire three guys out of college, you know, for the same price that they pay me. Sure. Right. So I have to be careful. I have mm-hmm. to be aware of that and say, Hey, what value can I bring to the company I work for? That's beyond, you know, selling this, this widget or this work services for this widget. If I can't bring more value than that, then I probably will get sacked. So I got to bring more value.
1: Actually, a question about that. So obviously, you could be in a sales business development role and have metrics based on your sales and revenue profitability. But what if what if you don't necessarily have quite that tangible metric tied to a personal brand? How 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 would you go about potentially explaining to your you mentioned earlier, you know, the CEOs or your or your companies you know, your, your organization that a personal brand can be important, you know, where it will lead to business, but not necessarily something that's on a metric. I I don't, do you see what I'm saying? Like, sometimes I feel like that personal brand people like that doesn't have to do with your job description, but at the same time, if you go on LinkedIn and even your city employee, and you're posting about all the great things the city's doing, all of a sudden people are perceiving the city in a better light. There is a qualitative, uh, betterment going on there. How, help help me wrap my brain around. You know how how do you explain that to a boss? You know when there's not a dollar sign directly tied to it.
2: So well, Nick, negative. Nick, let me ask you one thing. So Nick, are you talking yeah. about the influence that a personal brand bl- brand can have?
1: I suppose yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it, influence, but that that's not necessarily tied to I'm I'm selling a widget. I'm selling a consulting service. But there's mm-hmm. that not the quantitative. It may more of the qualitative. Mm-hmm. Um, benefit.
3: Sure. So there's no easy answer to this, Nick. In the mar- in marketing terms, what you're talking about is attribution, mm-hmm. right? And attribution is always hard in marketing. It's always difficult to figure out how much marketing It's really interesting. I read in the Harvard Business Review not too long ago, that in the C-suite, all the C-suite positions have about the same tenure, which is average about five years, except for one. Guess which one that is? It's the cmo the chief marketing officer and that has a a, a life tent has a has an average tenure of three years oh. and the reason the reason is is because that's really hard to get to have attribution for the money people are spending on marketing it's really difficult to say hey i spent three hundred thousand dollars and this is the amount of leads and revenue that with leads that were produced and revenue that was produced in return for that $300,000. So executives get tired of spending the $300,000 year after year, because it's difficult to really put your finger on what that's doing for you. So the answer to your question, Nick, is there's no magic bullet, there's no easy way to do it, but you have to think about it. You have to you have to put some time and effort into it. Um, and it's it just not gonna happen by itself. So one of the things that happened to me Uh, just last year at the Esri IMGIS, I was at the conference and I made sure that every time I walked down the hall, I had one of the, one of the leaders from my company with me, like going from the, the, my room to the hall I'd walk. And every time someone say, hey, Graybeard, you know, we'll go, hey, hey, how you doing? You know, (laughs) I got into into a shuttle and there was an executive from SAP sitting in the back of the shuttle and he yelled up, hey, we're the Graybeard's on board with this. So maybe we're going someplace special. Right. And so I, I try really hard to make sure that I bring people along with me and that they see the value in those kinds of things. And the other thing, Nick, it's just really, this is subtle, but it's really important. If you're going to create an online persona or a personal brand, you can't be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. You can't be shy. You can't embrace it. You got to embrace it. You got to embrace it or you'll never get the value out of it. So if I would have, if I would have just ducked my head and said, oh crap, you know, they saw me again. It would it would not go well for me. Right? Or you show up to, with
0: a fresh Just for Men brown beard because uh, <laughs> you know you
1: <we> don't. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I guess the question yeah. is, how do you put the, the tangible quantitative value on a network well, pay or attention. reach?
3: Just, yeah, you have to pay. You have to pay attention. You have to be creative, and you have to you actually have to do the work, Sean. Yeah, it, it won't happen by itself. You actually have to figure it out, you know, start making lists of all the people you've met online, yeah, start yeah, yeah. making lists of all the things they've done for you. You know, don't just assume it's going to happen. It's not just going to happen. You're going to have to do it yourself. And in my experience,
0: the the CEOs, if they see a list and they see that documented, it makes a lot of difference than just, oh, well, I know a lot of people and I know a guy.
3: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so actually three years, paying attention three years, and tracking it. Right. In the three years I've been doing what I'm doing, I can look back. We, I, can, I can write a list of 12 people that have joined our company um, because um, they liked what I was saying about the company.
0: Mm. And that has value, tangible, quantitative
3: value. In today's world where recruiting GIS professionals is a very difficult proposition, it has a lot of value. So, I, you know, that list that I keep, I keep a running list you know, that's, there's a reason that I keep that running list is because if anybody wants to question what's happening, I can always bring that list out and say, okay, these 12 people that we we really like and trust in our company this is a direct result. There's a direct correlation between mm. my personal brand and them coming to us and saying, I like what you're talking about, the culture of Locana. I like what you're saying about Locana. So therefore I want to, I want to investigate a job there. Mm.
2: Yep. And whether you like it or not, you are establishing yourself as an expert in the field. That's the way people are looking at it. And it goes back to that whole trust factor. And if they trust you and they like you, they're going to want to work with you.
0: Well, I, let me, I, 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 I wanted to ask do- about that real quick. That, you know, the they know you and like you and they trust you. I mean, how to, is there a hurdle or is it really if they like you, they're going to trust you? Is there anything you need to do from they know me, they'll like me to get them to trust me?
3: Well, yeah. It's is that the just same gonna happen? same dynamics that needed to happen in person. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Mm, right. If you, if you say, I'm going to, I'm going to show up every week and do a live stream, then you need to do it. Right. If you, if you're going to have a podcast weekly, then you need to do it. If you, if you have, you have to be able to demonstrate that some of the things you're saying about you know, the value of GIS are actually provable. You know, don't just go throw stuff out there. You'll never get the, never get the trust you think it's all very much like, Like it is in person, it's just a little bit more, you know, one to many instead of one to one.
1: For yeah. those of you who didn't know, that's sort of a GIS relational database thing. You know, one to many relationships are primary. Secondary, <laughs> some nerds right there. Thank you, <laughs> Doctor Nick, for bringing that up. The,
3: the one yeah, cool. I do actually, do I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, push the conversation in a different direction. Um, you had mentioned earlier, and we were—I just made a bad technology reference—that um, you had something to say later in the show about the map-centric or the the map. Um, you want to go back to that, kind of talk about what, what you were meaning by a map or a list or kind of the something into the future. Sure. I, I mean, I, I just have this, I, even though I really love maps
3: and I, and actually I didn't tell you guys this, but I actually have a map in my head. I knew, I knew really early on in my career that I wanted to do something with maps because every place I've ever been in my life is tied to every other place I've ever been in my life, right in my head. There's a map that connects everything in my head. And so I understand GIS at this very basic level is that's the way I think. I think that way. So even though I think in terms of a map, right, that's the way that I orient myself to the world. I think the true value that we're going to have from location, location intelligence, the way Jack says it, right? The true value we're going to get from that is going to be when you don't have a map, but you still get value from the location data. Hmm. So let's just, let's think of a way that that could be like Tim Nolan talks about as a GIS uh, guy at, at Collin County in Texas, they, they always have to, they have to create instructions for people on how to go vote or who, where to vote. There's no map involved in that. They just take an an address and they assign that address to a certain map district, and then they spit it out at the other end. The real magic happens when you don't see the map, when you get the value from location, but the map doesn't come into the equation. And so I think that for business or for for the kinds of where, where we really see the big gains in value for location is when a map's not even involved, where it's just being able to do things because you have this algorithm going in the background that says hey i've got 15 leaks on this gas line and they're all you know this is the pipe that it's associated with this is the pressures it's associated with you know all the different attributes and spits out a list on the other side that says you're going to have a leak in the next five years in these five locations right Mm. and it's not necessarily about where that is on a map as much as it is i've got to take action on this and it's not you know I just feel like that the greatest amount of value we can have maps are great for certain things for finding your way around or for associating your associating different assets together. Or or for understanding how things move that kind of stuff, but there's a whole other class of things that have nothing to do with that at all that need location data to drive the algorithm does that make sense. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a little esoteric. <laughs> we know. all want to jump in here. <laughs> yeah, and
0: it's and it's somewhat abstract, but the way I can relate to it is, let's say it's a, you know, it's a GPS of a bunch of vehicles all bouncing around, like sure. where they physically are in this exact spot on a map isn't as important as how many starts and stops and how many, you know, what's the longest duration. Sure. And that is... You know vehicle a has seven starts in it, and then then it doesn't matter where they physically are or where they you see them on a map it's the data that's
3: derived from that is that right but, you, but like you say sean the starts and stops are associated with location sure it's all uh-huh. location data Right. But, but I don't need to see it
0: on a map to know that the guy is going in circles. I can, it it is the, the data tells me that
3: without having to visually see it and just to get to the same place. Right. Exactly. So I just, I just really feel like that we're getting to rapidly getting to a point where maps will have their place, you know, for, to orient people. But the real value that's going to occur is when we have the X, Y coordinate or increasingly it's the X, Y, Z coordinate. Right. That is located that that is used to drive some sort of business analytics um, that that make things happen in more efficient, more effective ways.
2: Yeah, I see us in the future walking around with like the Oculus lenses on, twenty four seven, basically. You know, like the 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 Trimble
0: Hololens or whatever. Oh, you're assuming we're we're leaving the house in this
2: yes d- dystopian <laughs> <laughs> well yeah territory that's true that yeah, at, yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. that so might you, that you, might, you you might be a reach <laughs> that might right, be a reach. Right. <laughs>
1: I mean, I literally just saw a commercial. It was either for the Stanley Cup finals, but one of the big sporting events recently in the last few days, and it was for Oculus. And the the commercial literally said, here's a classroom today. In the future, you won't be in this classroom. You will have an Oculus on. Mm, Totally
2: agree. Yeah.
1: And and so you may, you know, I, I definitely see that, you know, happening in the future. Now, again, there is some ethic morality. I don't. Yeah personally being a guy that likes to be outside, you know, uh, and being in the wilderness. And I think Bruce may agree here, you know, wanting to hike the whole Appalachian trail, um, which I would love to hear about too. But, um, man, that sort of scares me. I know that's a, it's a cool idea. I may never make it to China, but I can learn all about China from virtual reality, but yeah, we'll see.
2: How long is the Appalachian trail?
1: Uh,
3: 2,192 miles.
2: And you want to do the whole thing?
3: Yes, sir. All the way from the top to the bottom. No kidding. I really do.
2: When you're projecting it, how long does something like that take? Is that, that's months, obviously.
3: Yeah. I mean, most people take 120 days to make it happen. Yeah. I thought it was three months. Yeah. yeah, It's it's usually 120 days with a little bit of break, a break or two here and there. Um, But, you know, I'm, I I always wanted to do it during my 60th year. And I think I I might have a plan that just might bring that into fruition, but I can't make it public just yet. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it may or may not be associated with my gray beard brand. It may or may not be associated with other brands that are really, really cool.
1: So, uh, so just keep your eye on this. interesting,
2: and, interesting, and, and interesting.
1: Bad-, bad elf may or may not have pledged a GPS unit for Bruce to take with him. So his hiking <laughs> is even more efficient.
3: Maybe, or maybe not, you know, the, the Appalachian trail commission may or may not be looking for a new center line.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah, the geoholics I mean. may
0: or may not you just perked event, perked the interest of a lot of
3: <laughs> listeners
2: on
1: that one.
3: <laughs> How many so people good. can
0: go with <laughs> yeah. you? Bruce? Now an expedition.
3: Well, that, see, I've got some really cool ideas though, too. Like I'm thinking that, uh, that people can join me for three day stints. Right. Well, I was
2: just thinking like Forrest Gump, Forrest yeah. Bruce.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Forest Greybeard. Uh,
3: <laughs> Forest Greybeard. This is gonna be awesome. I, I'm thinking it has a lot it has a lot of potential. So I'm just gonna keep developing it and see where it goes. Oh you know? man,
2: that's awesome. Someone's
3: gonna have to tell me to stop before I stop.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I, I a couple of years ago, well, year in the fall of twenty twenty. I decided I was going to go do a four day backpacking trip up in Northern Pennsylvania, all by my little old lonesome, all by myself. Because every time I take my kids out backpacking, I always think to myself, you know, if I were here all by myself overnight, I would probably pee my pants Mm. because this is so scary, you know? And so I thought I got to face this, I got to face it head on. So I went for four days all by myself in bear country up in Northern Pennsylvania. And what I found out, is that it wasn't near as scary as I thought it was and that I can do hard things. And so one of the things that the gray beard stands for is it stands for being older, being better, not older. Right. And so I really try really hard. I really try to, to expose myself to new things. I've recently started doing yoga. Um, I I really, really love, I love meditation. I'm starting to really work on that. So I'm trying to expose myself to new things all the time. So As I'm getting older and getting more gray beard going on, I also am getting better and not just kind of riding the last few years and um, path of least resistance. You so, know?
2: Bruce, before we let you get out of here, I got to jump in here on this. I recently have starting to, started doing cold plunges. Here we go. Have you done this?
3: I, I have done it and I haven't done it regularly. It uh, is really hard. It is. I, I got. It is really hard. It is life
2: changing. It is life changing. So I go to this place where you go from an infrared sauna to a cold plunge to a jacuzzi back to the cold plunge, and these these extreme changes in temperature. It's life altering. Life altering. I would highly recommend it if you get the opportunity.
3: I, I I will I will take you up on that. I I will do that. I'm. It's in my bucket list of things to incorporate it into my life. Right after I'd he like
0: gets you. done with that, uh, 121 trail. day Appalachian <laughs> trail run, <laughs> we'll quit not... cold plunge and he's uh, back to it. This is
3: going
2: to help him prepare for that. Trust <laughs> me. Know, I can yeah. see it. Mind over matter.
3: Yep. Absolutely. I
1: appreciate matter. the
3: suggestion
2: for sure. For sure. Nick, did you have something?
1: Uh, no, no, i am just, I was, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, uh, we, as we kind of just wrap up here, I know often we lead with a mantra. Um, you've, you've given us so many like kind of words of advice and I love the ratio today, but is there any other words of advice for say a young GIS practitioner or somebody wanting to get into the geospatial field or for that matter, just anybody in general, uh, any mantra or wise words, uh, you would leave everybody.
3: You know, there's so many things. I, I have a friend of mine who, um, A couple years ago he sent his son off to duke and this kid was going to be he was going to to get an accounting degree to be a pre uh, to be a lawyer there's a pre-law kind of accounting degree he got in his third year at duke and he said um, he had to get an internship to to get into the next year's Mm -hmm. program and he just did a little too much drinking and not enough uh, looking for internships and eventually it got down to the last few that were available, and the only thing that was available for him to do was to go over to to Scotland, and study how islands were created, um, you know, by the tidal flows and different things, and how they how they were created and degraded over the summer, over over the over the centuries. And about halfway through this this time in Scotland, he called his dad, and he and his dad he said he said Dad, you know, what if I decide that this is what I want to do with the rest of my life? Like, how disappointed would you be? And, and this guy, Steve, he's, he's just really wise guy. He said, I told my son, Dave, I said, Dave, when the door opens, walk through it. And, and I, I just think that's the wisest thing. Like, I feel like people live in too much fear of worrying about, am I right? They overthink things, you know, for heaven's sake, if a door opens, walk through the door, you know, how bad could it be? Right. And I, that applies to all parts of our life: our personal life, our our professional life. You know, if a door opens, walk through it. I, that's that's what I live by. I try to I try to keep an open mind and try and say, hey, when when an opportunity is presented, why not? You know, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, love oh, it,
1: yeah,
2: I love it for sure. Doctor Nick, I think you can relate to that one for sure, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that. Open the door, you know, and got it. You got it. You got to jump. You know, no whether it's into a cold bath or, you know, into a job, you know, um, no, that, that's great. Um, look,
3: at the, look at the skill with which Dr. Nick incorporated that reference. Did you see
0: that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're uh, going to like this one. He's well, a pro.
1: I, the, the only other thing I was going to say, uh, you know, in 10 years, when you're, you're turning 70, uh we're gonna have you back on the show and just like Gandalf the gray he has a transformation into Gandalf the white and at that point we're gonna have to rebrand you just slightly uh and and so you can be white beard and uh you have truly hit the apex of total wisdom and knowledge will abound from your said white hair so Uh, hopefully in 10 years we'll have you back
3: I'm gonna take your word for that um and I'll come back if you guys are still doing this I'll come back and I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Awesome. Sounds awesome. like a challenge.
2: Pace. Hey Bruce, yeah. thank you so much for your time. I know you're running on like four hours of sleep. You just got back from a European trip and uh, we, we really appreciate you kind of bear, you know, charging through it and, and joining us this evening. We really appreciate awesome. that.
3: Honestly, Ken, it was probably better. You know, I'm probably better on four hours sleep.
2: There you go. (laughs) I wish I was. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. All right. Uh, Hey, we maybe. I
3: I really appreciate you asking me to come on. Like I said at the beginning, I really felt like when Nick said, hey, would you do this? I really felt like I'd hit the big time. So I I really appreciate it. I'm
2: blushing. We're blushing over here. (laughs) Hey, we may awesome. see you at the uh esri users
3: conference you never know i'll be there let's collaborate let's do something fun
2: that'd be amazing
3: okay. all right awesome let's put it thanks a- guys all right, cheers.
2: Let's put a bow on it, folks. Adding value and making friends—that's what we do here at the Geoholics. Thanks to our loyal friends of the program, just like Extreme Aerial Productions, for believing in us. Be sure to mention your Geoholics when you reach out to Mister Taylor, as uh, EAP uh, legitimately has a VIP program for Geoholics listeners that you'd be crazy not to take advantage of. Download the new and improved and fully updated Geoholics app from LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Send us an email at info at the if you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show. Uh, last but not least, pay it forward, add value, make friends. The seldom seen, my little Georgia rose available everywhere. Until next time, everyone, if a door opens, walk through it and be safe and healthy. Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program: Advanced Geodetic Survey (AGSGPS.com), Airworks (Airworks.io), Bad Elf (Bad-Elf.com), Cyanic Automation (GetJobBook.com), Diamondback Land Surveying (DiamondbackLandSurveying.com), Extreme Aerial Productions (ExtremeAerialProductions.com). Get kids into Survey, get kids into Mentoring Mondays, Mentoring Mondays. XYZ. Monson Engineering. Monson Nettleman LC Prep. Lcprep.com. Northstar Surveying. Northstar Prostar Corporation. ProStarCorp.com, SafetyApparel, Safety Apparel. SafetyApparel.us. Topodot new.certainty3d.com, and finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.